In Jesus' name, amen. When Susan and I went to visit our granddaughter, Graylin, we stayed with her parents. We went to see her, but we stayed with our son, Joel, and his wife, Anna. They all live in Williamsburg. And Susan and I went there, visited there shortly after we were married, but it had been a long time, and so when we were on this trip, we decided to go back and revisit the old colonial city. And when we were in the Bruton Parish Church, which by the way was built in 1647, when we were there, we learned some really interesting things about the old city. And the main thing that we learned was that it wasn't always this historical icon that it is now. In 1780, after Governor Jefferson moved the capital of Virginia from Williamsburg to Richmond, Williamsburg didn't have a whole lot to, to, to live for. The, the, the government was really all that it had going for it. And when they left, there wasn't much to do. And so for 150 years, the city began to slide into great decline. It really became little more than just a crossroads. It did have a, a small burst of growth and, and excitement uh, during World War I when a bomb factory was built in nearby Yorktown. But besides that, there really wasn't a whole lot going on in old Williamsburg. Mostly, it just really became kind of a, a shanty town. But it did have some great uh, places of interest, like the Toot and Common Garage. Get it? Toot and Common? Toot and Common Garage. I thought that's pretty cute. Anyway, that was right on the main drag of town, and right beside it was a big pigsty. Oh, and they also had that, that well-known resort, the Stumble Inn. Great names for, I'm sure, great places. But in 1926, Reverend William Goodwin, who was the pastor of Bruton Church, persuaded John D. Rockefeller to underwrite a complete restoration of the colonial Williamsburg so that it could become the cradle of democracy. And during this process of restoration, 790 buildings were bought and demolished. And then some of them were rebuilt back to their colonial and pre-colonial style. I am sorry to report that the Tutankhamun and the uh, Stumble Inn were not among that number. All right, I know that that's probably a lot more than you really wanted to know about Williamsburg, but I got to thinking about all of that as I worked my way through this passage from Isaiah today. That passage is filled with imagery of restoration and repair and rebuilding. 
we read a fantastic list of, of all the ways that God will bring healing and, and wholeness to these people who are broken. Captives. Those who have lived with imprisonment. Those who have known oppression and grief. The prophet proclaims that they will have glad news given to them instead of the news of despair. And then it says, how, it says how God will use those people who have been healed to rebuild the ancient ruins and repair cities long ago destroyed. And that's the image that caught my ear and, and took my mind back to Williamsburg, which was a city that was restored and repaired to what it was long ago. But you know, it's hard to imagine when you see Williamsburg today that it was ever a city in ruins. That it was ever neglected. That the, the, the people watched as those historical treasures decayed over the years. It's hard to imagine that it wasn't a crown of beauty. That there was nothing noteworthy in it. And so I imagine the folks that lived through all of those decades of history really decided that it really wasn't much to save. There was no reason to put forth the effort. And they didn't think about those falling down buildings as being great icons of history. If they had thought it was worth saving, they would have already saved it. But they didn't see themselves as, as part of the history of that place. They needed a vision. They needed someone who could, who could give them a dream of, of a glorious past that could become a glorious future. And so that now when you go and see it, you don't have to worry about the fact that it used to be in ruins. It's fully restored. You don't have to worry about the past truth of how ragged it used to be. But for Isaiah, and for the people of Israel, they had to face the truth of their history. And it wasn't pretty at all. This passage that we read today is from the time when they were returning from exile in Babylon. Returning to a place that had been decimated and, and, and ruined before they left. And they went back home and found that it was still in ruins. That the people who had let, uh, stayed behind had left it and neglected it. And so that it was still in a state of ruin. Isaiah described it very well. He, when, he, when they went, they saw ancient ruins. Places long ago devastated. And so these Israelites faced enormous challenges in order to, to put things back right again. To, to make things feel like they were home. Now, I'm, I'm not a building expert by any means, but it does seem kind of obvious to me that in order to rebuild a ruin, you can't just long for how things used to be. You can't just hang on to the ruin. You've got to go through the rubble and see what can be saved. 
What kind of wall will still hold a load? What's solid? Where's the, where's the foundation solid enough to, to build upon it? You can't just look at what was. You have to imagine what it can be. And that's why God spoke through the prophet Isaiah to give them a vision of what will be, of ruins restored, of freedom from captivity, of healing and renewal. He gave them a vision of the walls of Jerusalem and of that temple being rebuilt in a new way. But there was something even more important than that. Surely those ruins would be rebuilt. But far more important than the ruined buildings was the faith of those people. The faith that was in tatters. And Isaiah's announcement was meant to give them hope and to give them faith that the God who had rescued them from exile, the God who had freed them so long ago, would once again work wonders and would restore their lives. And the good news is that God sent someone to preach good news to them, to announce freedom, to announce abundance, and to tell them they did not have to rely on their own strength to do the heavy lifting. Isn't that the kind of news we need to hear in these Advent days? Especially during these Advent days? We don't have to look very far to see that there are ruins all around us. Some are, are fairly obvious. A sputtering economy, lost jobs, lives lived under pandemic stress, pushing marriages to the brink, disrupting childhoods. There's COVID this and COVID that and the list goes on. You fill in your own blank. And certainly there are lives who have been ruined and left, left ruined by, by things that we cannot see as well because we tend to cover them up so much. Lives that are, are left lost from neglect, abandoned, having lots of private struggles. How do we go about rebuilding and restoring to wholeness those kinds of ruins? And how is God inviting us to restore them? As I thought about all of that, some of the best wisdom that I read this week was that obviously the work of repair and restoration and wholeness doesn't come overnight. It takes a lot of effort sometimes. And the fact of the matter is that restoration isn't always welcome. But one of the most amazing things that I learned was that the restoration comes from those who have been living in the ruins. They are the ones who do the work of rebuilding. As Reverend Goodwin began quietly buying up pieces of property to start 
the restoration, there were lots of folks in town who didn't like what was going on. They became suspicious. They started holding out and, and property prices began to skyrocket. And reporters then began to flock to the town to do some investigating and, and rumors were, were running rampant. And so it came time for a moment of truth. And so Reverend Godwin met with the townspeople in the high school gymnasium, which in fact was built in the old governor's mansion spot. But he met with them on July the 12th, 1928. And he rose to explain what was going on and to, to tell them of the intent of his benefactor. He bid his fellow town people to, quote, return thanks that this place has been chosen as a shrine of history and beauty. And then he told them how things were going to go and what was going to happen, and then he announced that it was John D. Rockefeller who was underwriting the whole project. And when they heard what was going to happen and who was going to pay for it, they rose up together with a standing ovation and everyone got behind the project. Surely it didn't happen overnight. But the work of repair was shared by all those who had been living amongst the ruins. They were given a vision, a dream of what could be, of what the future could look like. And they didn't have to do it alone. Someone was going to help them get, it, get the work done. As we move closer and closer to Christmas, the message of the prophet Isaiah speaks to us as well because it acknowledges the pain and the loss that we go through. It doesn't, it doesn't sugarcoat it. But this, at the same time, it points to a future, to a vision, to a dream of what can be, what will be, as ruins are rebuilt, as exiles come home, as those who mourn will be comforted. Our God is a God who builds and restores. And God uses us to do that building and to do that restoration. It could, if we could do it on our own, we would have already done it. But it is our work. And since it's our work, we need all the help we can get. And God is here to give it to us. The joy of Advent is in our celebrating the coming of Emmanuel, our God-made flesh who comes to empower us and strengthen us and who invites us to go through the rubble and find what is good and strong and use it to begin the restoration, to make things new again. Our God gives us a vision of what can be, what will be, as He invites us to take up the tools God has given to us and help to rebuild a kingdom 
of lives restored, of justice, of wholeness. Yes, Isaiah's message is just as meaningful for us today as it was back then. So hear it again. Receive it as your Advent promise and your Advent call. God sent me to preach good news to the poor, healing for the broken, to announce freedom for the captives and pardon for the prisoners. God sent me to announce the year of His grace to comfort those who mourn and give them a message of joy instead of the news of doom. So rebuild the old ruins. Raise a new city from the wreckage. Start over on the rubble left behind and make it new. Because I, your God, establish my eternal covenant with you. And you will be a people I have blessed. Amen. May it be so. O come, Emmanuel.